This is Isabel and San Dimas Conversations with Neighbors. This is a podcast to spark conversations among neighbors about happenings in and around San Dimas. I am Isabel in San Dimas, and I'm happy to be one of your neighbors. In today's episode, I cover a topic that is a fun one for me, all about bicycling. If you don't know, my husband Phil and I love biking. It's something that we enjoy doing together, mo- mostly before we had kids. And Phil likes to mountain bike and road bike, and I like to just bike for fun to get around. And so today, I've finally have gotten to do an episode all about cycling in San Dimas and the surrounding areas. I've been wanting to do a podcast episode on this topic for a while, and I finally found the perfect guest. Doug Strange is a 29-year resident of Laverne and is actively involved in promoting active transportation in Laverne and the surrounding areas. He initiated and moderates the Cycling Around Laverne Facebook group. He is a founding member of the Laverne Bicycle Coalition. He was a community contributor to the first mile, last mile planning for the Metro Gold Line and is the chairman of the Laverne Active Transportation Committee. Doug received the Noche de las Luminarias for local advocacy for active San Gabriel Valley. Doug and I had a great conversation all about biking in the area as well as what biking advocacy looks like from his perspective. And so I hope you enjoy listening to my conversation with him as much as I enjoyed recording it. Today, I have Doug Strange here with me. He is a Laverne resident and a bike advocate. Thanks for joining me today, Doug. Sure. Happy to be here. Thank you. Um, so the, the first thing I would love to just start out with is if you could tell me a little bit about yourself and kind of your relationship to cycling. I've been a Laverne resident for 29 years. We moved here. We actually grew up in the Covina area. After a series of moved, moves, we moved here. And um, we have always ridden our bicycles, me and my wife, both just for fun. We used to go on dates on our bicycles and then uh, all through our marriage and all, all types of bicycling. So, and we still do uh, even today. It's, it's a big part of just kind of our lives. Nice. So you, uh, you and your wife bike for fun. You bike in other ways too, right? To go to work. I did. I retired. I retired from Southern California Edison a couple of years ago. But when I was working at Edison, I did ride my bike. I rode my bike to the Metrolink station. Then I took Metrolink to uh, Baldwin Park, where myself, as well as a group of whole other bicyclists, would get off the uh, Metrolink and we would ride our bikes into the Edison headquarters there. Oh, so a lot of coworkers were biking over there too? Yeah, you know, it, it was a good way to meet other people and other departments. And what I often tell people is it took me the same amount of time to ride my bike, take Metrolink and ride my bike. It took me the same amount of time as it took me to drive. And so when I would show up, people would show up having driven their cars. They'd look exhausted just getting to work. We'd be just, you know, upbeat having enjoyed a, you know, a fun trip together and, and ready to go. And when people said, well, what are you going to miss most about retiring? I said, I'm going to miss the commute. 
<laughs> and uh, it was the part that, that we missed the most because uh, it was it was actually really enjoyable as opposed to oftentimes you would talk to people and the commute is the reason they would want to retire. I was just going to say, I don't know if I've ever talked to anyone who said that the thing they'd miss most about their job is the commute. <laughs> yeah. Especially a long commute like that, you know, going from bike to uh, public transit to bike. I mean, it's not like a five minute commute. It's quite a commute. Yeah, it was, it was a little less than an hour, but it was, you know, about an hour to drive it as well. Okay. Well, and yeah. I mean, we could talk about the benefits obviously of biking over driving, but you know, obviously the, the physical exertion, you know, you're getting your daily workout in. And also it sounds like there was a bit of a community aspect to, you know, joining the other riders and riding to work together. Yeah. The, the Metrolink was was a fun part of it because the Metrolink train has a bike car. And so you, you can take a bike on any of the Metrolink cars, but there's one car specifically where the whole bottom is just bicycles. Mm-hmm. And uh, so all the bicyclists would gather there. And so you ended up meeting people from all kinds of different companies. You would get to know them. You know, everyone would look forward to seeing each other. And uh, so it was kind of became a whole community of just people who enjoyed the same thing. It was a lot of fun. Made friends for, they're still friends. Nice. Well, that's a great way to transition talking about cycling and community, because I would really like to ask you just what your thoughts are about the cycling culture in this area. You know, as someone myself, I like to bike, but I wouldn't call myself a cyclist. Uh, but, you know, as I go around town, going grocery shopping or driving to the local restaurant, I see a lot of cyclists, especially on the weekends, people riding together. You know, sometimes they're in uh, their cycling attire and there's definitely a cycling culture. Can you talk a little bit about what that's like for those of us who aren't part of that? Sure. And, and I think that, you know, cycling can be a lot of different things. And you had mentioned that you're not, you know, really a bicyclist, but you're a person and you're a person that goes places. So you probably don't define yourself as a car driver, neither. Right. <laughs> That's so, true. So bicyclists, you know, um, at times you're a pedestrian. At times, you know, you may be using a bicycle. At times you may be using your car. Right. They're just all ways that people can get around. But I think that for sure, the cycling culture can be they can break into different groups and and, and even within that, there can be a lot of groups. There's kind of, you know, the mountain biker groups, which is really big in the area. And um, and then there's the recreational cyclists that you see. And that's what most people remember. That's what most people complain about, right? <laughs> like those bicyclists and they were riding and they took up the whole lane and I had to go around them and they ran through red lights, you know. And and those those are, you know, kind of recreational cyclists, right? And then there's just people using bicycles and, and, uh, and, and in some ways those may be the largest amount of people, but they're the most invisible. Mm. The, the people that you almost have to have an eye out to look for it, right? It's the people that you see, you know, they're on sidewalks, right? Kind of riding. They, they may have to ride to get to their job. They may be riding just to get groceries and they tend to blend in and they're almost always underestimated. So when you talk about bicycling culture, Laverne and San Dimas, they have a really strong recreational 
cycling community. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people out on bikes that are recreational cyclists. And it's because it's an excellent place to ride on the road, as well as there's excellent mountain biking here. Mm -hmm. And as good a mountain biking as, you know, you can find in Southern California. And so you have a lot of, um, a lot of both of those. And so they, they tend to be, so that, that culture is really strong in terms of just people using bikes to get around. They're there. There's more than people think, but that's, that's an area that I think that both our cities, they need to grow in that area. We weren't developed to be those kinds of cities, right? Mm -hmm. We were small towns developed in the seventies and eighties you know, kind of with their typical urban sprawl mentality. And it wasn't built to be, you know, with that kind of in mind. It almost has to be retrofit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I love how you kind of answered that question when I asked about cyclists, you know, and you said, you're a person who gets around in different ways. And so by, by kind of reframing it that way, I don't know, to me, you're almost making it more accessible for me to be able to take my car or to walk or ride a bike, you know, by, by just reframing the conversation. Uh, it's like one of my options for getting around. And I'd love to talk and hear a little bit more from you about your bike advocacy in, in San Dimas and Laverne, well, maybe more so Laverne. What have you been doing to advocate for more bike-friendly environments? And especially knowing that a lot of people are like me who enjoy riding bikes, but maybe don't go to that as, you know, the primary mode of transportation? I think, I think there's a couple things that are um, important. I, I think I mentioned that in general, this area, which was largely kind of, especially Laverne was rapidly built out like in the seventies, mm -hmm. right? As, as sprawl kind of moved eastward. So you had the old towns and you had orange groves, right? And all those orange groves filled in, in the seventies. And in the seventies, there wasn't much thought at all about accommodating anything besides cars, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and the whole, everything is designed to maximize vehicle travel. So Laverne, it has a history where they had some bicycle infrastructure. Some of it was actually removed because they thought, you know, we don't actually want to encourage people to ride their bicycles. That could be dangerous. And around Which, what, what time, what years was that? It's been 20 years at least. Okay. And, and lots of changeover. So within Laverne, there's always been a lot of bicyclists, but not a lot of infrastructure and not a lot of recognition or on how to accommodate alternative forms of transportation besides vehicles. There was a move to start a Laverne Bike Coalition. And, and I think that the people that were involved with it, you know, eventually just got tired. The city can move really, really slow. You know, and that's just the nature of cities and bureaucracies. And I actually have a lot of empathy for them. I understand it, but it can wear people out that want to see change because it just does not happen fast. But the Laverne Bike Coalition was started. It kind of slowed down for a while. And then I became more involved. We started a group called Cycling Around Laverne that was a Facebook group. And part of that came from I remember I was talking with somebody in the city and they said, well, you know, Doug, frankly, 
I never hear anything from the cyclists that they want anything different. And I said, that's weird because every cyclist I know wants something different. Mm -hmm. But the truth is there was really no way for any of the cyclists to connect. Right. And when I said to them, I said, so if you're going to make some changes, will you at least talk to the cyclist? And he's like, yeah, you know, I'll reach out to the cyclist. And how many cyclists do you know? Well, none, right? Like, I mean, like in the city, they didn't know any cyclists. They didn't, there's no voice speaking into the process, Mm -hmm. right? So just as you mentioned, there's a lot of people on bicycles, but there's actually no mechanism for them to speak into the city process. It wasn't even something there was a lot of thought put into. So we started a Facebook group that grew. There's a whole series of events we eventually engaged um, the Laverne Bike Coalition kind of got started again and kind of got some speed under it. We engaged with all the people that were elected. I think I had mentioned to you before, one of the things we did was we took everybody running for the city council and mayor. We, uh, We took them on a bicycle ride around their own city. And we said, just go for a bicycle ride with us around the city and see how it feels to you, Mm -hmm. right? So none of these were recreational cyclists. They were all just everyday people, right? Mm -hmm. But they would all say, well, of course you can ride your bike around the city. Of course it's fine, right? None of them did it, right? So when we, we took each for a bicycle ride around their city, and at the end, every one of them became an advocate, right? They're like, we have got to do better than this. And it would be just little things we would show them, right? And we would take them to an intersection and say, why don't you just show me how you get across this intersection? Mm. And they would just be dumbfounded, right? Mm -hmm. Because they'd never been on any of their streets on anything besides a car. Mm -hmm. So that created a lot of energy. And eventually, Laverne formed an active transportation committee, which is a, a formal committee, which is something we had long advocated for because it, it kind of creates that voice within the city processes. In conjunction with that, Laverne had received a grant to put in some bicycle infrastructure. So if you're around Laverne, you've probably noticed a significant increase in bike lanes and those types of things. And that was a result of a grant. Mm. And so those two things have come together in the last year. So they're much further along than they were earlier. That's a long answer, huh? Yeah, well, well that's great. I, you said a lot, and I kind of want to address a couple different things. One thing that you said that really stood out to me is kind of how you and other cyclists in Laverne kind of came together, whether it was through Facebook or through the coalition, to have your voice heard on the city level, whereas previously it wasn't. I bring that up because I my most recent podcast episode that I released was about civic engagement. And I talk about how like it's important for everyday people to to get involved, to pay attention. And I think this is a perfect example about how people who maybe didn't know how to have their voice heard in the community found something that they were passionate about and cared about and were able to kind of get together and say, hey, we're cyclists and we matter and we'd like to see some change in our community. So, I mean, that's just amazing to hear how you and the others have been able to kind of participate to have your voice heard. 
Well, I totally agree with what you just said. And I, I believe that actually very few people being organized with a single voice can make a really big difference. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that I would, I always say is be positive because, you know, if you work for the city, I don't envy people that work for the city. And, and for sure, there are a lot of unhappy people that can make a lot of noise about a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Right. And you just don't want to be another unhappy group of people you know, just adding to the pile of, of people who are unhappy and, you know, raising a big stink about it. Mm -hmm. And for sure you see that, you know, on the social media platforms. Right. So we are always positive. This would be my position is the city does not naturally have people who are experts in what it's like to get around their city on a bicycle. Mm -hmm. So we can provide them a service by providing that perspective. Mm -hmm. equally, they don't know how to find answers on what would work best for a cyclist. So you can provide them a service by providing them, in essence, that consulting for free. And uh, and so in, in the end, I always try to be positive, a positive resource to help them make their city better. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a very kind of solutions focused way of looking at it, you know, instead of complaining, saying, hey, we have some ideas. And what I love about the story you shared earlier about getting the council members or people running for council on the bike is that you kind of brought them to your perspective and showed them what cyclists are experiencing, whereas they didn't know that before. And and it's really interesting, like you said, about crossing the intersection is that now all of a sudden being on a bike, there is an element of kind of vulnerability when you're on a bike next to a car. And um, for for those people who are going to be in positions of power to kind of see what the actual infrastructure is and realize how could it be changed or improved. So I think that that seems like it was a really effective way to advocate for a more bike-friendly community in Laverne. So I applaud your efforts and everyone else who was involved in that. <laughs> Well, I, I agree. It was a game changer. So it, it's uh, something we'll we'll do again during the next election, I think. Yeah. And, and during an election, these people are very approachable, right? Uh, as opposed to just once everyone's in office soliciting just, you know, daily list of what everybody's unhappy about. Uh, during the election cycle, they're very, very approachable. Mm-hmm. So we talked a little bit about uh, the infrastructure in Laverne and how it maybe was lacking and has improved in recent years. Can you talk a little bit from your experience about how you see the infrastructure in San Dimas specifically? Like the thing that comes to my mind is like the bike lanes on Bonita. You know, you're riding from Claremont through Laverne and, you know, there's <laughs> bike lanes and then you get to San Dimas and all of a sudden the bike lanes disappear. <laughs> Well, and that used to be Laverne, right? The bike lanes used to go Claremont, Pomona, and then there was, you know, nothing after that. You know, I don't know San Dimas streets like, like the back of my hand, like I would the Laverne ones, mm -hmm. but I did have a meeting with your director of public works, and I'm going to forget his name. Actually, I met with him several times, and he's retired, about several different issues, and, and he, was, he was very accommodating. San Dimas had a active transportation plan or a bike and pedestrian plan that you can find online. Huh. 
whereas Laverne was the only city that didn't have an active transportation plan, but Sandy Miss did. So I can point out several areas where Sandy Miss has pretty good infrastructure. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think uh, it, going around Benelli's at Sandy Miss San Dimas Avenue, uh-huh. you know, there's actually a very nice bike lane there. Right. Um, that's that's buffered. So it's it's kind of hit or miss through San Dimas. They've always had it on Foothill Boulevard, mm-hmm. uh, whereas Laverne didn't, right? So there is a connection made there. But overall, the parts of San Dimas that I would be in, you know, which typically would be the areas bordering Laverne, San Dimas felt, felt pretty safe. Mm-hmm. But that's, you know, that's for me, right? And and I would fall into a category of, of, of a much more stronger, confident rider. Like I, I wouldn't have experienced Sandy as more as, you know, doing errands or things like that. I think that Sandy Miss, I don't know that they've done a lot lately. You know, I, the cities typically kind of go in spurts. And so maybe we'll talk a little bit more about a large project that's going on that San Dimas is a part of, but I would point towards the gold line. I think the gold line is going to change a lot of the cities Mm -hmm. or they're going to wish they had changed. And I think there's lessons learned from the previous gold lines, Mm -hmm. like the previous stage cities like Monrovia and those cities, they really wished they had put more thought into the bike and pedestrian routes and pathways around their stations Mm -hmm. before the stations were built because they suddenly have all these people showing up on bikes, you know, and it wasn't quite thought out. And I think that they're trying to reverse that in this extension. So I think that that's a catalyst for change for all the cities. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you brought that up because I've attended some of the gold line meetings in the recent past before the pandemic, most of them happened. But, the, you know, they did a lot talking about the first and last mile. So right. uh, for folks who don't know what that is, it's kind of like that that mile between, well, the metaphorical mile between the station and your home. Kind of how are you getting there? And is it by car? Is it by bike? Are you walking? And what you're saying, Doug, is that the gold line is really an opportunity to make sure that the infrastructure is there to accommodate the various ways that people will be getting to the station, especially by bicycle. Yes. You know, I'm not going to be able to give exact numbers, but I heard somewhere that the the parking structures cost far, far, far more than the stations to build. You know, so if you take a parking structure, you typically, they can cost thirty to $40,000 a car wow. to build a parking structure, right? To park for free. <laughs> right. So so that's basically subsidized. Right. If you can just, you know, unless they charge for it, which they've eventually have started to do at some of the stations. So you look at some of these stations and they had far too little bike parking and they had, you know, overwhelmed parking structures that cost an enormous amount of money. Mm-hmm. So if they can get and so you're right. The first mile, last mile, right? It's, and it's often referred to as FM slash LM. First mile, last mile, right? Which technically is one mile walking, three miles biking. So that's kind of a cheat, right? Okay. <laughs> so if you draw a circle around the station, it would be, can we make it so that if you live within one mile, it's easy to walk to. And if you live within three miles, it's easy to bike to. Because it's kind of crazy, right, to get in your car and drive 
five blocks to park in a $40,000 parking spot mm-hmm. to let your car sit all day. It could have sat all day in your driveway, mm-hmm. right? And not cost us $40,000. <laughs> so um, there's a lot more thought around that this time. And there's a plan, a first mile, last mile plan that was approved mm-hmm. by Metro. And, and I was able to participate in that. And it was really thorough. So each of the cities is chartered with implementing, you know, the parts of that that they want to. I can't speak to what San Dimas is doing. You know, if you were to go to Glendora right now, I know that they even have certain areas temporarily laid out, right, with cones and things like, like this is where we're thinking of creating protected bike lanes, mm-hmm. you know, so people start to get used to it. So they're almost prototyping some of those changes. Um, I know the Pomona just got a large grant and they're going to put some of that into, you know, improving access to their station. And so I don't, I don't know what San Dimas's plan is, Mm -hmm. but I would look to that. I would guess that's where, you know, there's going to be a focus in the coming years. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, I'm not going to talk to you as, as if you're a gold line expert, but I'm wondering if we can speak generally, you know, you're talking about protected bike lanes. Can you, kind of explain a little bit more for folks who don't know all the terminology, but what are some of the infrastructure changes that could make our community more bike friendly? Like, can you talk about what a protected bike lane is or, or what, um, even like bike boulevards or things like that, that make cycling easier in the community? Yeah. Yeah, I can. And if it doesn't take too long, I'll tell you a couple things they'll kind of lay the groundwork for that. And you and I have talked once before about different types of cyclists. Mm-hmm. And I said that there is, there is a study that was done at the university of Portland, but it's used widely. And it's, and it's basically breaks cycle people down into the four types of cyclists. There's the strong and the fearless. That's the people that they'll ride anywhere. They just, they don't need, in fact, they, they don't even, they find bike infrastructure to be limiting Right. And, and that's maybe 5% of the population. Right. A lot of times they'll refer to themselves as vehicular cyclists. Right. Like I'm a car and I can ride anywhere a car can. And uh, and then there's enthused and confident. And that's usually another 5%. And then there's um, kind of the interested but concerned. That's probably you. Yes. Right? <laughs> I'm pointing right. to myself right now. <laughs> And that's usually 55 to 60% of the population, right? These are people that have a bike in their garage. If it was easy and felt safe, they would, they would use it. You know, they wouldn't ride for hours, but they'd go to the grocery store. They'd go to the park. They would go to McDonald's with the family to get a shake, you know, and they would ride to the gold line. Well, I think, I think I told you when I lived in, uh, Northern California, I rode my bike to and from school. We rarely used our cars. We would take public transit. Um, and then here it's just a, it is a different infrastructure. And so I, I don't ride my bike very many places. Right. And and then there's a group that's no way, no how it doesn't really matter. It's usually about 35%. It doesn't matter. They're not going to ride their bike and that's okay. Right. I mean, I'm not saying everybody should ride their bike. The next piece is there's Another terminology that's often used called level of stress. It's uh, ways you can look at different roadways and what's what's the level of stress. So if you're kind of a interested but concerned, right? And so things are numbered one, two, three, four, right? If it's a level of stress kind of, you know, four, 
right? Like super scary. It doesn't matter, right? What kind of bicycle infrastructure, sure, what kind of bicycle infrastructure you put in, you're not going to go on it because it's just too scary, right? So I'll give you an example. If we were simply paint a bike lane on Arrow Highway, where people were passing you at 50 miles an hour, like we could pat ourselves on the back and say, look, we put a bike lane in, you know, and nobody's using it because it's dangerous, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Or you could put a Shero in the middle, you know, you could put a Shero, you know, like a little bike emblem in the middle and say, hey, and a sign that says bikes may use full lane. And if the cars are going 50 miles an hour, you're not going to do it. And you're not going to take your family and if, you know, the strong and the fearless are going to use it, but they were using it anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you take those two concepts and then the, the question you asked me that I'm finally getting to is different types of bicycle infrastructure. Right. And so the, the important part is it needs to match. You need we need to understand who our audience is. And I would say our audience, if we want to grow bicycling, our audience is the interested but concerned because the other people are riding anyway, mm-hmm. right? They appreciate it being safer, but they're already riding, mm-hmm. right? We, we really want all the people whose bikes are in the garage <laughs> to be comfortable, you know, taking them out. And so you need to match the type of bicycle infrastructure with your audience and to create a kind of a street where the level of stress is low, Right. Mm-hmm. And so that means that the higher speeds, the bigger the road, then the more pronounced the bicycle infrastructure is going to have to be. Right. Like so you um, you had mentioned some. So basically infrastructure is usually broken into uh, numbers. Right. So uh, class one is what you described in Berkeley. A lot of times it's going to be a separated bike path. Right where you're not even near the cars, you're riding on a bike path, you know, it's like a bike path at the beach or, you know, um, there's several of them around here, right? Mm-hmm. Walking, biking paths, multi-use paths. That's kind of the gold standard, right? And you're going to see families out there, you know, because it's super low stress, right? And if we had level of one bike paths connecting everywhere, you would see a lot of people using them, a lot of families, right? Mm-hmm. But but they're hard to, to retrofit. Level two is bicycle lanes. And so if you just see a bicycle lane, that's a level two. A level three is what is called, you know, it's, it's a bicycle road. Typically, you'll see kind of an emblem in the road, that sh- like a bicyclist and a sign that says share the road mm-hmm. or may use full lanes there'll be an emblem and um so you know that's typically should be where the speeds are very slow and it's just letting people know hey you know like there's bicycles out here as well and it's okay for them to be here right mm-hmm. but that would need to be a very low speed road you mentioned a bicycle boulevard mm-hmm. right bicycle boulevard is a class three where the bicyclists just use the whole lane, you know, the the whole lane, they share it with a car. Mm -hmm. But typically what they do is they physically implement things in the roadway to slow the cars down so that it's safe for the bicycles to share the road, Mm -hmm. right? So in cities where you see that and bicycle boulevards are, they're great to be on if you're, if you're on a bicycle 
And typically the people who live on those streets like them, right? Because how many people do you know who complain about people speeding through their neighborhoods, right? Mm -hmm. So like if their kids are out playing, like if the Bicycle Boulevard basically says, we're going to make it so that it feels safe to ride a bicycle through here. That's good for people who have families and kids, their neighborhoods are quieter. Typically it's done with like roundabouts at the intersections, things that make cars not have straight lines so they can just, you know, drive 40 miles an hour through a neighborhood, Mm -hmm. right? Things that don't impede bicycles, but make it so cars can't achieve high speeds. Mm -hmm. So that's a bicycle boulevard. And then the last, which is fairly new, is called a class four. That's a separated bike lane. If you go to Claremont, you can see a separated bike lane where on Foothill Boulevard, they reconfigured it and there's the bike lane. And then there's a physical divider between the bicyclists and the cars. It can be a planter. It could, sometimes they just move parking. So the parking is on the, on the outside. Right. And the bicyclists are on the inside. Mm-hmm. So the bicyclists are protected. So that's a class four. It's a protected bike lane. That's a long answer. No, that that's a long answer, but it was very nuanced. You know, I asked about infrastructure, but I, I appreciate you going into kind of how the infrastructure has to match the population that you're trying to get on the bike, as well as the type of road. Because like you said, throwing a bike lane on Arrow Highway isn't going to cut it for someone like me who wants to ride her bike more, you know? That's why you have to be honest about your audience. And I think that it's easy for cities to just paint bike lanes and pat themselves on the back Mm -hmm. and say, yep, I painted 10 miles of bike lanes, right? Well, there may actually be no more people riding bikes after that than there were before, because if it's not thought out, it's it needs to be people like you that feel safer as a result of the effort for there to be an increase in the number of cyclists, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the what I'm getting from this conversation is that it really takes a lot of planning, you know, very thoughtful planning, um, and not just planning from people who are quote unquote experts, but from the people, or at least having a voice from the people who are going to be commuting, riding their bikes on these streets, you know, that because like you said, the people who are making decisions or who work for the city don't always get on a bike in the city where they work. And so really kind of having a combination of that expert planning along with the lived experience of being on a bicycle in the community. Well, I think you're right. I always think it'd be a great world in which our public works departments in addition to having a fleet of pickups, had several bicycles. So whenever they went out just to inspect things, because our city's not that big and it's fairly flat, like what would it be like if different people in the city just jumped on a bicycle to run, you know, to check on jobs, check on different things and rode back? I think it would just completely change uh, perspective a lot of times. Mm. I mean, it is probably cheaper for the city. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, well, I mean, these are a lot of great ideas. So we, we talked a little bit about the gold line. Do you, are you aware of any other future bike oriented plans that are coming down the, the pipeline right now? I am. There was a large study called the first mile, last mile study, which we've talked about. Mm-hmm. And that was approved from that. There's been a continuation at a, a secondary project. And that project includes the cities of 
see if I get this right. Pomona, Claremont, Laverne, San Dimas, Glendora. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's called the Arrow Corridor Project. And so the idea is, can they create a uh, east-west low-stress route, you know, across all those cities that roughly, you know, mirrors the route of the gold line, right? So it reuses as much of the first mile, last mile work as it can. Mm -hmm. And so on that, as representatives from all those different cities, there's a consulting firm uh, doing work, and it's called the Arrow Quarter. So that... What they'll say is that does not mean they're going to drastically change Arrow Boulevard, right? Mm-hmm. Which you know, may or may not be a recommendation, but it's the Arrow Corridor, right? It's like roughly following that path. You know, is there a way to create a low stress route uh, for for bicyclists along mm-hmm. that route, or or any you know any users? And so that project has been going on for for well over a year, and it's caught up in like everything else with the whole with the COVID, right? It was meeting regularly. There was a, a a group, there was a representatives from all the cities, representatives from the schools, from the fairplex, you know, different groups providing input, you know, into it. But that's kind of caught up with the whole COVID. So it's really slowed down. But that's in the works. And I, you know, I can't really speak to what, what their new due dates are, but we are looking forward to seeing kind of what their recommendations, they were to the point where they were kind of going to boil that down into maybe two or three kind of recommendations that, that were going to come out of that. I think it's encouraging because of all the cities participating in it together. And I think that it's important that each city not act independently, but that they view this all as kind of a connected network so that you know, if you live in San Dimas and want to go to Claremont Villages or you live in Claremont and want to go, you know, to San Dimas, um, it, it needs to be a connected network. So it's encouraging to see them all kind of looking at that together. Mm-hmm. So that should be sometime sometime in the future, but I don't know what the date is. It, I know it all got pushed out with the COVID. So um, just a follow up question. So you said that was kind of in conjunction with the first and last mile. So is the idea that, you know, if people are commuting along Arrow Highway, they're trying to make it bike accessible. So if you live along there, it's easy to not only get to the other cities, but also to get to the gold line stations that are going to be popping up. It built on that work and some of the same consulting firms that helped put together the first mile, last mile are participating in this as well, as as well as some others. And that makes a lot of sense that although you want to get to the stations, um, you equally could just use that and go two stations or three stations down, right? Mm -hmm. Like eventually how I said, you know, that the first mile, last mile, in essence, created circles around each station. Well, if you just drew a line through all those circles, you almost, you know, could have a route. Mm -hmm. And if you just built on that and it was viewed that way. And so I, I do think that that's kind of the plan. And I think that, you know, it'll leverage as much of that Mm -hmm. as as I can. It won't be a whole second effort. With the Arrow Corridor Project or just bike advocacy in general, I guess, if if people are interested in like participating or getting involved in this kind of stuff, um, what recommendations do you have for someone who wants to see our communities becoming more uh, bike friendly? Well, if you live in Laverne or uh, even if you don't, you know, 
I think there's two things. If you want to watch kind of what's happening here, I had mentioned several things, right? Cycling around Laverne is a Facebook group that is just simply a group that's bicyclist in the area just to create connectivity. You know, people use it for all kinds of things. Just like, hey, you know, there's there's a hazard here. Be aware they're going to close this road or, you know, just just awareness. But it's very loose. It's not an entity. It's just a way for cyclists to connect. But it's a way to kind of tap into the cycling community. The Laverne Bike Coalition is something, you know, to watch. It's it's probably a good way just to to know what's going on in the area, because if there's something going on in the area, then we would publish it on the Laverne Bike Coalition. And there's a website and a Facebook and an Instagram for that. Awesome. If, if somebody wanted to start something themselves, you know, like in San Dimas uh, or Glendora, you know, first of all, they would always be welcome to reach out to me. I would just kind of give them my thoughts on, on what worked. But I think that um, I think it's very doable. You know, Claremont has an active group. Pomona has an active group and, and Laverne does now. And so I think it can make a big difference in the city. I think San Dimas has lots of potential to be a very good bicycling city. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, so I guess uh, two last questions just for fun. Are, um, do you have a favorite ride in the area if you had to pick one? Well, can I split it between mountain bike and Sure, go ahead. (laughs) Right. So if I have a choice, uh, my wife will always ride the road bike. But if I have a choice, my first choice is I always take my mountain bike and I always ride in San Dimas, up San Dimas Canyon, up the new Golden Hills Road, which is ridiculously steep, but has bike signs on it now. And uh, and then I ride Marshall Canyon uh, to the top and back. And that would be kind of my standard, you know, ride like unless it's way too hot. But if we're going to ride road bikes, I, I usually ride uh, out to Claremont, through Padua Hills, by the theater, and then around Benelli uh, and back home. So I catch Claremont, Laverne, and San Dimas there. That's that's quite a long ride. Do you know how many miles that is? Uh, it's usually in the low 20s. Oh, my gosh. And how often do you yeah. ride your bike? Is it every day? I try to ride every day, Yeah, but, uh, sometimes just to go places. Like if I'm, you know, meeting people, uh, I'll try to ride my bike to meet them. But usually I try to ride at, at least four or five times a week. Mm-hmm. All right. Last question. Or is there, um, a ride that you would recommend for like a beginner like myself, or I don't know, what is that category called? Uh, <laughs> Interested, but concerned. Yes. Yes. Is there a (laughs) ride that you would recommend for me? I don't have a mountain bike. So let's say, let's say a road, a road ride. Always riding around uh, Benelli is a good option that you can just basically not even encounter cars at all. Okay. You know, and so if you're going to take your family, you know, you're going to take the kids and you kind of want to go for a ride, then I think that um, around Benelli is pretty hard to beat. And I, I first became aware of your work when you were involved in the whole kind of frustration when the uh, trailer park closed the route in, you know, but that is really the good way for families, you know, to go in is to park at Norm's hangar there at Brackett Airport, which is kind of cool in itself. And then just go in there and you can kind of, you know, ride around there. So that's a super low stress 
way to go. But if you're going to ride, you know, on the streets, um, you know, Benita is a pretty comfortable street to ride on. I think, you know, basically from San Dimas to Claremont is, you know, a, a pretty doable ride. And you're going to see a lot of cyclists of all types on it. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, my, my youngest, uh, she's going to be a year in a couple months. And I, I think the year mark is when it's safe to, to bring the baby on a bike. So once she turns a year, I think we'll be doing those family bike rides more. <laughs> Good job. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Doug. I appreciate uh, you sharing your expertise with me. And uh, I just, it's fun to talk about bikes and, and maybe uh, I'll get on my bike more this year. Okay, do it. Thanks for listening to that interview with Doug Strange. What did you think? Does it make you want to get on a bicycle? What is your comfort level on a bike? Do you or would you ever consider using your bike to get around town? Feel free to let me know your thoughts at isabelinsandimas.com slash bike. I'd love to hear from you. All right, a couple updates and upcoming events. You might remember at the end of February, I did an episode about if San Dimas should consider leaving the LA County Department of Public Health. Well, I just wanted to let you know that recently after that episode came out, the city of West Covina voted four to one to formally leave the county public health department. That is interesting and important because, as I mentioned in my other episode, uh, San Dimas is following what happens in West Covina, following the reports and any of the progress that they make. So what happens in West Covina could eventually impact us here in San Dimas. So if you were interested in that topic, uh, follow along and see what happens in West Covina in the coming weeks, months, and maybe years. Again, if you want to listen to that episode, it's at isabelandsandimas.com slash public health. On Tuesday, March 23rd, there are a couple meetings of the city council at 530. They will be having a study session. The study session is to consider a general plan amendment and zone change to allow for developing seven single family homes at 327 East Baseline Road. So if you live around there or if you're interested in that area, uh, feel free to pay attention to the city council study session on Tuesday at 530. Later that night on Tuesday the 23rd at 7 p.m. is the regular city council meeting. A lot of routine items on the agenda, but a couple things that do interest me that I wanted to share with you. Item 3E is a consideration of approving the contract with Cosmont Companies. This has to do with the vacant lot at Bonita and Cataract, which, as you probably know by now, uh, Pioneer Square LLC has proposed a uh, community-oriented development for that lot. And so this contract approval with Cosmont is continuing to further that process of negotiating the potential sale involved uh, with the city selling the property to Pioneer Square LLC. And then related to that, later in the meeting at uh, item seven is a closed session uh, between the city and Cosmont and Pioneer Square developers to discuss the price and terms of payment. There is a public hearing, which is item five, for a municipal code text amendment 
to reconsider what the definition of abandoned vehicles that constitutes a nuisance mean for the city of San Dimas. So if that is an issue that is important to you, you might want to check out that public hearing on Tuesday. All right, that is it for me today. But before I go, I want to just let you know about a personal tidbit of mine. Uh, In light of our conversation about biking, I'm going to tell you an embarrassing story, but I trust that if you're listening to this, uh, you won't judge me. Uh, Basically, uh, when I was in grad school, I was riding my bike to and from my residence to school. And on the first day of school, you know, I was young and adventurous and I took my bike and I was riding up the hills to campus. And uh, there's this really steep hill right in the middle of uh, beautiful redwood trees. And I couldn't get up the steep hill and I like fell off right on my bike in front of a bunch of other people on their way to class. It was totally embarrassing, but um, that was the only time I fell off my bike going to school. Luckily, that is my tidbit. Thanks for joining me today. I am Isabel and San Dimas. And before I go, I want to encourage you to connect with one of your neighbors. Uh, This week, one of my sweet neighbors made me uh, some chocolate chip sourdough cookies, which were delightful. And so maybe think about making something nice for your neighbor, Uh, a batch of cookies, maybe some extra dinner, bring it over, Um, maybe pick some extra lemons off your lemon tree and drop them off. As always, you can find me at isabelandsandemus.com. Feel free to reach out, send me a message. I love hearing from you and I will talk to you next time. Bye-bye.